welcome once again to the Enduro World Series podcast where myself, Rick McLaughlin and Rory Cunningham get to express our own often fairly flimsy, occasionally reasonably well-founded opinions about everything that is great and good about the world of mountain bike stage racing. Rory, geography has conspired against us once again this week and it's back to doing this down the phone, but it was good to see you last week. What have you been up to this week? You've not had much on, have you? No, not a huge amount. It was good to see you last week, Rick, but... I've uh, I've mostly been recovering from your your piercing accent and droll chat, <laughs> but um, no, um, I had a I had a pretty emotional goodbye to a loyal companion at the weekend. Um, I sold my Volkswagen Transporter T5 that I've had for the last ten. The the way you teed that up there, it was like you had to like have your dog put down or something. Like it sounded pretty emotional, I mean, but you sold you've sold your van, which I get. I get that is kind of a bit like a dog. Uh, isn't it? I mean, I've had it ten years, and there's been uh, numerous bikes, people, um, a lot of good memories in it. Been in multiple races and uh, a lot of sentimental value. So I was uh, almost on a tear of my watching it cruise down the street away, but. Um, yeah, that's the van that won Red Bull. It's the van that won Red Bull Hardline, isn't it? Uh, possibly. I mean, I've only had one van for the last ten years, so it is. <laughs> Must have been. Yeah, yeah. and a few others. Um, it's funny, isn't it? There's some. I don't know. Same with bikes, really, isn't it? There's some like there's some bikes that you can sell without blinking, and there's other bikes that you sort of go, oh, I sh- shouldn't really be getting rid of that, but. Um, I'm not. I'm not going to mention on this podcast what you have got to replace it. I think it's. A, I think you've made a good decision there. I think that's. I've a, not. I've not. It's a change of pace. I've not got anything. Just uh, don't. Don't. None of my friends know. So. <laughs> besides, besides, <laughs> besides Chris, because I had to ask him for the afternoon of work. But if anybody listens to. It, okay, so you've not. You've up. not got. You've not got anything. You've not got anything. No, to I'm still replace looking. It. Good. You're still looking for that Piaggio app, hey? That's yeah. going to open your heart, right? <laughs> um, I should point out, um, if anyone hears um, a tapping noise in the background of the recording of this podcast, there's a bird that is effectively bullying me. Um, <laughs> it's, like a, it's like a finch or something. And basically, it comes to my office window and it taps, taps, taps at the office window. And I can't work out if it's eating like flies or something that are around the window or if it's just wanting to have a go at me or it's worked out that it annoys me it'll be seeing its reflection in the mirror or in the window surely i mean if you if you if you put your face up to the glass i'm sure it would uh, i'm sure it'd fly off pretty quick <laughs> i don't know i did it once and it seemed to upset it even more um but yeah we uh yeah so if you hear any tapping in the background it is a bird i Cannot promise that it will not be here next week, but I mean, I could, I can try, I can try. Um, we have had some racing though uh, taking place, and that is in the form of the impressively titled Fox Superflu Sealed by Stan's Gravity Enduro Race in Awaba, Australia. Some 320 racers took part in an EWS qualifier event, so definitely well attended. It was put on by Rocky Trail Entertainment for the tenth year in a row. Uh, but it was the first time that that's been an EWS qualifier with racers in the EWS classification getting to race an additional stage. Now, the only thing I knew previously before writing this script about Awaba is that I'd seen some videos online of Canyon's Jack Moyer going extremely quickly on the trails there. 
And lo and behold, he went and won it, taking 10 seconds from Ryan Gilchrist from Port Macquarie. Luke Meyer-Smith from Comboyne came in third. Zoe Cuthbert won the women's race from Isabella Lemond and Emily O'Brien was third in that one. Let's talk about the format a bit here, Rory, as it sounds like a really good one, actually, and one that would actually appear, appeal to myself with my amateur mountain bike racer hat on. <laughs> Uh, there were three stages, no start times, and you got five attempts on each stage with your fastest one counting. Uh, thanks to the time and chips, that's all online on an app. So the minute that you cross the line, you get to look at your phone and work out what difference any different line choices have made or how much worse it went than last time, I think, in my case, it would probably be. That sounds really cool, doesn't it? It's an interesting way of doing it. Yeah, I, th- I think it sounds like a great concept and... Um a really good way to maximise the amount of time you get between the tape uh, without having maybe the volume of stages that some venues have or, or the kind of elevations. So, um, yeah, I was I was reading through what you sent me earlier and it almost sounds similar to the the qualifying format that you get in motor racing. Um, obviously, in like, say, MotoGP or Formula One, um, you can repeat lap after lap after lap um, and just keep seeing additional improvements or, you know, take a break between... A fast lap and go in and and kind of review the data and I thought it sounded really really cool and uh, at the same time but with my my kind of nibbler hat on I was thinking oh, it'd be really interesting if they only kind of got the one practice run to see how times changed between say lap one and lap five like did times reduce greatly and did you know how much time were they gaining um, with each run kind of learning the stage and learning the kind of the timing and the flow of it each lap I think it'd be I think it'd be really intriguing, but um, yeah, as far as a, an amateur concept and a way to maximise time on the bike, it sounds sounds ace. I think as well from a from a grassroots perspective, it's a really cool idea because although some people who have maybe raced a bit more would be put off by the fact that I think there's going to be an element of queuing involved in that format, and I've actually my the first one of the first races I ever did was similar to this and it was a couple of runs down different tracks and um there is a bit of obviously waiting your turn involved but at the same time given that it's everyone in the gallery, i think that's great for junior riders and amateurs to mix in with the likes of the jack moyers like the pros you know and sort of rub shoulders with them a bit climb back to the top it's also great for venues that maybe don't have a lot of elevation because mm. i mean i think if you were if you were outside of the ews class well ews class I think that was four tracks that were open, and if you got five runs down each of them, twenty runs. That's that's a lot of riding in a day. I mean, that is that is your money's worth. Um, mm-hmm. I think from my, I think you would probably go faster on each run. I think my process would be very much first run, find out where I'm going, second run, go as fast as I'm going to go, and then three more runs, getting things wrong. <laughs> I think would probably yeah. be how it would go for or, me. But, yeah, um, two in the pub. <laughs> Two in the pub, yeah, exactly. The yeah, second one, it's done. Yeah. Two runs, three pints. Go. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, it was also great to hear that that event managed to raise $1,500 for Colleen Cahill, a key member of Hunter Mountain Bike Association, who are based down there in Awaba Bike Park. Colleen, better known as Polly, suffered a spinal injury in December, so money going to the right place there and a great effort from everyone involved. Um I want to just talk about, I know it's not in the script here, but just going through that race report and the images from it. Um, Australian national level mountain bike racing, 
I'm going to say, pound for pound, the best turned out in terms of kit. Like, those Aussie races, like, there's lots of goggles matching gloves, there's lots of uh, well-polished helmets, there's lots of race day-only get-ups. The Aussies take it seriously, don't they? Yeah. Um, I'm, well, I think it's, I think it's funny. I, I, I think you're on the same page. I don't want to speak for you, but the, there's not much... <laughs> worse than mismatch kit or goggles that don't match gloves or you know if, if goggles matching oh, gloves is key uh, cannot emphasize that enough i think once you once you see it you can't unsee it right so um, <laughs> but yeah it's, i think i remember i mean this is going back i'm showing my age here but i remember going back to like 2005 going on holiday to uh leger kind of morzine and the at the time, the Australian Confederation kind of had a big junior program, and you had some, you had maybe like a dozen or so junior racers across from Australia, and I remember I was only twelve or thirteen, and they would be you know a few years old, a good few years older, and even then it was like they all had the kind of the matching D Max wheels, which at the time were like the in thing. They all had the kind of Sam Hill esque green spy goggles and. Um, all had they all had really good looking kit and bikes and everything matched. I remember kind of seeing them all come down the trails and be like, "Wow, who are they?" And then you know the next person down would be some like English bricklayer with like body armor on outside and <laughs> no peak, and they'd be kind of like, "Yeah, I know what I want to. <laughs> I know who I want to follow." Yeah, it's. So. A, I think it's as well. I think one thing that we don't get here in the UK is enough opportunity to run tinted goggle lenses. Mm. I think mirrored goggle lenses automatically elevate a general attention to detail with kit yeah. exponentially, yeah. don't they? And I remember like seeing shots from when we went to Chile, Lobarnachea, uh, from the first day of practice and everybody running big, you know, sort of colour matched mirrored lenses and going, oh, just in, it just instantly looks racier yeah. doesn't it it just interest instantly yeah. looks cool i think as well and uh, i have to say in the uk we don't have many opportunities to write ride in light colored kit either because if you get a if you get a nice white or kind of you know light blue or a kind of light race kit the uh you, you have one bad day and that's it written off for good so um yeah there's certainly certainly um bit more colourful when it comes to kit selection over there. And imagine if you're if you're a kit supplier, if you're zero, just send all the all the black, brown, grey stuff to, to Europe and the UK and send all the nice green, blue, yellow, white stuff to I remember years ago, remember years ago years ago never I think it was Royal had uh, a a rebrand or a relaunch, they redid their logos and stuff. And do you remember they came up with all that really nice I think it might have been the kit around 2008 2009 and it was like black along the sleeves and then mainly like white on the body and like white shorts mm-hmm. and i think i raced like in the that next two or three with, when i raced for crc intense i think we were royal for three yeah years, you yeah. will have done actually and then for the next two or three years after that you just kept seeing guys at races and this kept getting <laughs> progressively like brighter yeah yeah i remember that as as their uh, as their like washing machines began to give up the ghost, yeah. um, I was still giving it to my mum at that point to wash, so it was all good. 
As usual, we've been sidetracked slightly. Uh, we have some pioneering enduro racing coming up to talk about next week too. I'm looking, ex- I'm looking forward to this actually. When the Israel Enduro Series gets its EWS qualifier e- event in Mizgav underway. That event being spearheaded off course by GT Factory Racing's Noga Karem. Great to see, isn't it? Enduro racing taking off in a whole new part of the world. Yeah, absolutely, Rick. Uh, it's great to see you, and, and not to oh, mention... Oh, I've not had an absolutely, Rick, for a while. I know, I'll put it in there just for it's you. A good free, it's a good three weeks. <laughs> yeah, wait until the season kicks off, mate. You'll be, you'll be begging me to stop. Um, no, it's, it's great to see, and, uh, you know, not to mention um, allowing, riders, allowing riders in Israel to, to accumulate global ranking points, um, and hopefully that'll be the, their first steps towards... Um, getting onto the the EWS stage and, and competing competing abroad. So um yeah, it's it's great to see. They've obviously got a great model in, in Noga. Uh, and it's awesome to see her passionate about racing in her home country and um being the driving force behind it, I, I think as a full time racer it'd be it'd be a lot easier for her and a lot less stress to just focus on her own deal and, and her own racing and, and her own career. But um it's you know it's 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 great to see her giving back. Um, and giving the riders in Israel these opportunities and um, yeah it's it's exciting you know I think part of the EWS and part of our kind of mantra so to speak is is taking racing to to countries and locations that otherwise didn't really didn't really have access to it so um, yeah really excited to have Israel on the map and uh, yeah well excited to excited to hear how things go next weekend. Definitely, um, definitely plenty of mirrored goggle lenses. I think of that one. Um, from what no, from what Noga's told me, it, it is extremely, extremely hot. Going. Would be melting. My worst fear is that my worst fear is that this continues to grow and we have to do some kind of course preview in an Israeli desert, and I just end up basically just a pile of Jiro kit and a skeleton sort of like <laughs> sun sun bleached into the ground. But um, Noga Karem, I mean. She really announced herself on the scene with that debut podium as a privateer back in Madeira, twenty eighteen. Um, she was just that was the first time I'd met Noga, an absolute force to be reckoned with. She had flown all the way there herself. Um, she was working out of whenever you say like working out of a rental car, it wasn't even like you know she hadn't rented like a Volvo estate or something. It was I think a Clio or like a three door Clio or something. You know, like doing all her own mechanic in. Um, so she got that result um, signed. Got snapped up pretty quickly. I remember there was a bit of a there was a bit of a feeding frenzy. I think the big teams recognised that um, here was a privateer that could get on the podium, um, and she was really worth getting a hold of. Uh, GT Factory Racing, of course, took her under their wing. And she really she's become one of the big three, hasn't she, alongside as Will Cordurier and Andrea Andrianne Lamphy and Adou. Um she didn't have the season that maybe she'd have wanted last year, really, with a nineteenth and two seventh places. I mean, twenty twenty feels like it was a strange time for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um we had that weather affected race in Zermatt that was down to two stages, so that obviously didn't play into her favour there. But what are you expecting from Noga in twenty twenty one? There's that bird, hold on. I see his bottle that he's okay, wearing. He, he, like, he turned around. He turned around and he saw you. Um, yeah, I imagine we're talking about Israel. I can't imagine the conditions in Zermatt were very comparable. Uh, 
No, I there would, was a distinct uh, lack of desert, desert-like terrain in Zermatt yeah, and, with the weather. Yeah. So I'd imagine coming from Israel and then trying to race in the snow wasn't wasn't the easiest thing. But look, Noga's in my eyes, she's a podium threat pretty much every week, and I honestly don't think twenty twenty one will be be much different. Um, she definitely has the speed to win, and I think she's she's proved that time and time again with with you know stages right up there and um yeah I, I do believe she can win but if you look at Isabel's dominance over the last couple of years and then when 2020 we had the emergence of Morgan Shar and Melanie Pugin who both won uh it's going to be tough I mean the women's field I think going into 2021 is probably the most competitive it's ever been if you add into that you've got um ALN uh, obviously, Katie on our new program, Hattie Harnan stepping up. Yeah, I mean it's. Yeah, no, it's it, it's, it's stacked. It isn't is it? stacked. I, think, I don't think there's many. I don't think there's many racers. Um, Ella Connolly, who was on the podium last year, she'll Ella be Connelly. back. It's yeah, yeah it's Estelle Charles. Um, yep, and she was on the podium as well. It's, I don't think there's many. I don't think there's many racers that. Um, have the fight in them that Noga has though. I mean, like I've interviewed her a lot at the bottom of the stages where something's not gone her way, whether it's a crash or whether it's a mechanical. Um, and, you know, I'll, for a lot of professional cyclists, something of that magnitude, the head goes down, like all the training, all the effort, it's counted for nothing. But with Noga, you know that within two more stages you'll be talking about her being in the top three top four do you know what I mean she just fights and fights and fights mm. and just keeps coming back um she reminds me a lot of Rocky Mountain Race faces Jesse Melamed actually in a way that she's just total commitment she's full of emotion she's full of energy like the bottom of the stage is like she's fizzing like mm. I think we saw something change last season for Jesse uh and it clicked and that energy and sort of fizz turned into race wins and I think that Noga could be on the cusp of something similar yeah she, she could well be I think for a lot of riders that that final hurdle um can between kind of say podiums or, or being right there and, and winning can be this can be a real mental barrier and actually believing that that you do belong there and that you can win uh you know how often have we seen riders win one and then they just go on a on a tear and, and on a winning streak and all that comes down to is just that confidence and belief and um, seeing yourself as being the, the number one rider. And I think for a lot of riders, accepting that and recognising that and and having that as the standard can be very difficult. I know personally I struggled with that. Like when I came out, um, when I came out of junior in my, in my downhill days, like in junior, my last year, I kind of suddenly found myself fighting for kind of top 10 elites at World Cups and, and the first round of the World Cup I was the leading junior and whereas the year previous I'd been quite far off and then it took me a while to accept that and to recognise and to feel that I was like one of the guys and then when I jumped up to elite suddenly you're racing Petey, Sam Hill, Minar like these these guys who were my heroes a year ago and 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 I'm having to look at them and go, 
I'm racing these guys like I need to beat these guys and it's something mm. I, I've really struggled with um, just kind of accepting accepting where you where you stand but also like the maybe this may be a little bit different because I was I was very young but almost accepting that your heroes are now your competition and not you can, yeah. you can look up to them but you should also want to beat them whereas I kind of still looked at them on this pedestal a little bit and it was only as I got a little bit older that I kind of was like, you know, actually you need to um, see yourself as being mm-hmm. amongst them, not looking up at them. But um, well, we we do have um, you know it's it's tough, isn't it? I mean, we do have the under twenty one races at EWS, and we've seen a few of the overall champions in that category really sort of struggle to make a name for themselves uh, in the top flight. Do you think junior racers there's there's an element of having to serve your time a bit in the senior ranks and just make that adjustment and you know is it quite a tough thing because you see you know often in the junior ranks you see on the twenty one ranks you see quite big time gaps between riders. Mm-hmm. I, truthfully, I was I I can't really speak too kind of with too much authority about the the gap between under 21 or junior under 21 in elite because when I raced junior in downhill we had to qualify with uh, bless you we had to qualify with the uh, with the elites so more often than not on the Sunday afternoon for the race there would be three four of us that would make the final sometimes only two like sometimes it was just me and Josh or you know me Josh and Remy Tyrion like it was quite if because there was no junior category, it forced you to compare yourself to the the other guys, so the the elite like riders with separate categories. I think it's great because it gives more it gives more riders and more young riders the opportunity to race at the highest level, and I think that's really really important. But I do feel that the the riders at the the sharp end of the under twenty one categories in their final year or two should be looking directly to see where they are in the in the in the EWS field because and it's different as well. I mean conditions can change, courses can blow out. If you're suddenly getting paid to ride there's more pressure rather than if you're kind of, you know, doing it effectively with the, the support of family or whatever. So um I think that's what that's different. what brings us to one of the most one of the most exciting points of the build up to this season is that in both pro women and pro men's fields, we've got two of those riders mm-hmm. who are wild, widely touted as being two of the next big things in Antoine Vidal and Hattie Harnden, both taking a step up and uh, coming into those um, mm-hmm. pro ranks. So very, very interesting to see what they do there. Have we got any, we will report have back. We got any predictions? Go on. We... Yeah, they'll both be on a podium. I think they'll both be on a podium by the end of the season. I think we'll, I think yeah, I definitely think we'll see stage wins from both of them, and I think I'll be, I expect and and it, it I, I guess it's kind of natural, but I expect both of them to be right up there in certain races, but I also expect expect a bit of inconsistency, and it's strange saying that, and I don't want to sound like I'm saying that negatively, but it's kind of like you seldom see a young rider with the the sort of speed that they have and the the ability that they have step up and be consistently right there it's 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 quite often mm-hmm. a 
you know, that transition, even though they're effectively riding the same course and um, the race-wise, it's the same format. It's just that pressure of, you know, so, you know, if if you're in under twenty one and you're at the sharp end of it, and I remember this from my junior days, it's like you could have a bad run and still be on the podium, whereas like. And neither yeah. yes, if you're in the sharp end, you have a bad stage and you drop twenty you drop ten or twenty places in the overall. It's not it's completely different. Like the talent the, the depth of talent is so much deeper. So then the pressure on you to perform and to perform as flawless as you can is, is much higher. And I think that's that's difficult for junior riders to or younger riders to adjust to. But I, I'd imagine we'll see flashes of brilliance from both of them. I think we'll see stage wins. Well, Hardy, um, Hardy's time, um, Hardy's overall time in, I believe it was at the Bluegrass EWS finale league. Yeah, right? final stage. Was, stage four. Yeah, was she like equivalent of fourth in the overall? Uh, like, or she would have she been would, in the she, in the program. She would have been fourth in the overall, and I think she would have won the final stage. I yeah, think. I think that tells you. Well, yeah. What's fascinating for me, um, purely again as always from an armchair pundit's point of view, is that in Hattie and Antoine, you have got the continuation of, you know, a very competitive lineage of Tracy Mosley, really helping Hattie a lot, and now we were told a couple of weeks ago Cecilia Ravenel being in Antoine Vidal's corner full time, you know those two. Um, those two don't know the concept of losing one bit. So I think whatever, yeah, whatever the two of them produce this season, it'll be fireworks, I think. Looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, Hattie Horndon as well also ran, just a link back to earlier on, seamlessly mirrored goggles in a weather-affected practice session in Zermatt, which I remember thinking mightn't have been much help to her, but obviously looked very, very cool. And that was key. <laughs> um, Let's do a little, we can have a little video roundup, Rick's Video Corner. Uh, we had a, the release of Rooted in Ireland from Da Vinci at the end of last week. Rooted is their series where they travel to the sort of home trails of their team members and look at the sort of areas that turn them into the riders that they are. And this time it was Greg Callahan in Wicklow in Ireland. And good to see, uh, good to see a healthy dose of Stan Callahan, his dad in there as well. Yeah, um, I think it's always great to to get kind of to see the personal side of riders, see them back home, and and see the driving force behind them. Um, obviously, you know Greg's dad uh, has a kind of background in trials, and um, you know Greg's kind of followed in his, his dad's footsteps there, and you know it's great to see them. You know now now Greg's a season season professional, you know. Um, multiple race winner and you know it, it's pretty cool to to see him riding around with his dad and um, all you know although he's always got the you know the race wins and the fame and everything else that he's still you know still loves being back home and, and being surrounded by by family and uh, I think it's always yeah I think it's always nice to see behind the scenes background behind stories. the scenes and the background stories and and kind of it, it makes writers that quite often on the social media just seem to be seem to have this you know unattainable lifestyle and oh you know look at my new bike and everything else but at the end of the day like a lot of them a lot of them are just regular regular blokes like you and me and 
um, you know, we all start we all started somewhere, and we've all got our own kind of individual story. And um, I think it's great to showcase that rather than some kind of, you know, edit edit with drum and bass and lots lots of zoom in and out cameras. So I, th- I think it's great. Um, great to see. Uh... There's a lot of footage of the two of them on a ride together as well, and Stan on the e-bike, and then uh, descending as well on one of Wicklow's uh, new trails. Not hanging around, um, still racing as well, obviously, isn't he, Stan? So great to see that. Um, well worth checking out. A bit more, um, a bit more background. I know there's a there's a Keegan Wright um, video on that series. It's worth checking out as well. A bit about his story, which is which really is fascinating. I think we talked about that on a, a previous podcast. Um, Good to see Greg sticking with the beard as well. Um, as a fellow beard rocker myself, the more beards in Enduro, the better. Right. Um, also, video-wise, this week we had the launch of uh, Lapierre Zip Collective's Future Is Now, which was one of the more cinematic bike videos I've watched in a long time. That's really, really worth looking up. Um, it's on EnduroWorldSeries.com, I should point out, as well as Greg Callahan's Rooted in Ireland video. That Lapierre Zip Collective film was shot uh, on Corsica, the island of Corsica. It looks absolutely spectacular. I'd like to go there and ride my mm. bike and destroy the clutch in a rental car. <laughs> right. Um, now, I know we said on the last episode that we were going to um, we were going to talk about our new Santa Cruz bullets in a bit more detail once we'd had a bit more time on them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I took a screen break yesterday uh, for half an hour and went out and fiddled with Shimano's eTube app. Have you had a go at that yet? Uh, I've, mm, I've, I've had a little go of it, but um, I'm kind of a bit of a... A boost only guy, so it might be. It you're, might be you're a, bit a Billy Booster, aren't Billy you? Boost, yeah, it might be a bit wasted on me. Yeah, I like. I'll admit. Um, I don't want to say skeptical, but there is a part of me that at thirty six is sort of going. The less screens in my life, the better. And as I say, screen break. I was going outside to stare at my phone and then stare at the screen of the bike and see what was what was doing. Um, I wrote a column a while back now for a magazine about the creep of screen t- of screen time when it comes to time on your bike, and which traditionally, obviously, not in front of a screen. That's the beauty mm. of it. Um, things like Strava, Garmin Connect, stuff like that. That it all quite quickly went from brand new. It was unusual to look at an app after riding your bike to it's every day, especially as you mentioned mm. in terms of social media, you know, that's yeah. kind of what we do now as a species for yeah. better or for worse. I, uh, I went out um in terms I went out a ride on Friday and accidentally left my phone at home. And when I realised I'd left it, there was it's sad to say, but there was like this sudden like <gasps> like as if I'd done something wrong and then I was like, I don't need it. Like I was with friends, so they've got phones if something happens. And it was great. Like just Yeah. I kinda like I don't know. It's 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 important to try and distance yourself from it, but it's it's a, it's it's scary how almost I don't know, like almost kind of frightful you get if you're tethered to them. Not, yeah, it's, yeah, you're tethered to them. Um, not great, um, but it's become like in everyday terms how we measure our rides. Um, 
we share them on social media, we keep track of our fitness on them. One of my favourite things about Shimano's e-bike drive units compared to others that I've tried is how small the screen is and how on bikes like our hecklers last year and the bullets this year it all just integrates really tidily um you push a button to turn it on the screen is small cabling is minimal i don't really look at the screen when i'm riding the thing do you know what mm. I mean? it's it doesn't it doesn't interfere with your your vision or it doesn't like encroach into it it's set behind the bars um the e-tube app basically means that you can adjust the power delivery part power. of the drive unit yeah. across three parameters the maximum power delivered the torque and then the pedal stroke that it'll start to arrive like how much you know at what point the power will arrive and then they're all indexed across 10 clicks for each mode mm. so it's pretty intuitive it's really shimano <laughs> um you make your changes slash nibbles and it updates for a few seconds and away you go yeah. and i don't want to influence your changes at all really i know you're your own man but here is what i've done in the interest of science, I'm going to mark this in the podcast now. I've left the eco mode alone, as I think that that's brilliant. doesn't have to do anything more than it does. I just want that, like, roll around eco mode. Use as little battery as possible. Mm-hmm. Dead on. Right, left that alone. I've upped the power and the torque of trail by a couple of clicks. And I'm not convinced that that was the right choice, as I was out on it the other day and it felt a little bit on-off. And I've set the boost mode to essentially warp speed. There's that bird back again. Um, so that it's like maximum power, maximum delivery, everything she's got. Um, any idea of if any of that was a good idea, bad idea? What do you think of my Ooh. new settings? Well, you need all the help you can get, so I would have just turned everything to boost. But um... <laughs> Free for yeah. different boost Yeah, modes. exactly. Your drain pipe legs just need as much power as they can manage. So <laughs> just put them all to boost full power from, from Eco up. But uh Right, um, okay, no, I think, I'll try that. I think I'll it's that. it's a balance, isn't it? I think eco is either eco for me is either you're riding on a flat road and you're getting to the trails or you've hosed the battery and you're trying to get home. Um you don't mm-hmm. really use it a huge amount <laughs> in the thick of things. Or I don't anyway, but I'd be intrigued to know kind of where the settings were, like what was stuck. Um, did you have? Are you saying that if I if, this is what I think if I, if I get mine on the app, if I get the YouTube app out, I can get more power at it. You can get more power, a lot more power. Out of it. Um, what's interesting is that when you actually see where the levels are set on the app it makes sense why each mode feels the way it does, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Do you know what I mean? You, you, you see, oh, that's where that arrives, that's where that does that. And as I say, I've increased a couple of clicks on Trail because I wasn't ever really a big user of Trail because I used to use Eco pretty much to get like to really steep bits, then use Boost to get up them, and then just put it back in Eco again because I kind of felt that on the old, on the old drive unit... Um, Trail and Eco were really quite similar, so I've I've upped the clicks a wee bit to make Trail a bit more defined. And actually, I've had one ride on it; it feels pretty good. I'm going to go out now in the rain. We had some snow here last night because yeah. it's you know nearly the summer. Yeah, and I'm going to try and use Trail a bit more mm. and see what we reckon. Yeah. I think the e-bikes. You're excited, I yeah, can tell. E-bikes are a funny one like that. I always think it's like. If you did the whole ride in eco, it'd be fine. Or if you did the whole ride in trail, it'd be fine. As soon as you go into boost, and then you have to go down a stage. Like if you go from boost to trail, it feels like someone just put the brakes on. 
it's like when you get off a treadmill and you're in the mm. gym and you feel that everything's moving <laughs> but you're not it's kind of <laughs> or like a turbo trainer is the same thing it's like that weird kind of yeah or roller sorry that's why I, I kind of I, I try and keep boost for those like technical climbs because I kind of think that's where I want that and I, but I also I'm aware that I don't want to feel that all the time because as you say it sort of normalises mm-hmm. it and it makes it like less of a like even just on a psychological level makes it less of a a thing um I've seen some fantastic pictures from Ennis Graham who joined us for um, photographic duties on our build and the first part of the video series that we're currently working Good on lad. about you designing the Tweed Valley course um, on your on your bullet MX so I'm going to work those up into a little behind the scenes story to go with that video once it rumbles through the pipes so keep your eyes out for that one so yeah next week we'll report back on the Israel Enduro let you know how that went on and yeah I'm sure there's well, I mean it's terrifying isn't it it's only five weeks really until we we hit the road yeah it's certainly, it's certainly getting towards crunch time and um, you know for us at HQ I, I guess a little behind the scenes is I've got a big list of things that need to need to be ticked off and approved and manufactured ahead of the season everything from you know bike marking stickers race plate stickers um, an Enduro World Series van to get stuff out to Europe uh, the new uh, race labs I'm race excited plates. about the van yeah there's there's a lot going on but um, yeah I think uh, it's it's been a while since we raced and like you say it's kind of five weeks now so it's almost go time and uh, yeah we'll uh, are we going to be able to do them, these on the road are we going to bring it to yeah, the people I'm, from I'm, Europe I'm, I think we should um, I think there's going to be a marked difference in tone because we're generally by the time the evening rolls around sort of on our knees yeah. in terms of time. we're usually <laughs> pretty flogged by about 2pm <laughs> we're pretty hammered but um, I reckon we should definitely definitely take these on the road and we should get some we should get some actual professionals in get some EWS pros as well as well as uh, maybe some GMBNists but look we can talk about that another day listen Rory thank you very much for your time as ever is there anything else you want to update me on before we go Ooh. That's maybe, a a, maybe, <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe next week I've got a list of things I need to get through so um, I've seen your list I've seen your list right next week we'll have um, some, okay. some more exciting news I've got yeah I've got a couple of things I want to talk about on here but they're not just you know what I mean you know one of those you know those things that are like a couple of emails away from being talk aboutable mm-hmm. yeah got a couple that's of half emails. my emails right usually. okay yeah right listen Rory thanks for your time speak to you next Cheers, week right.